so excited uh, that, that Justin, though, can get the break that they needed. They tried to get away. I know in uh, June it didn't happen because of COVID, so now they're finally get to Tahoe and get a chance to hang out with family. Hey, I just want to do a quick update on Alaska Christian College, Peninsula Grace Church. You've been supporting us for years and years and years and years, and so I have a short video, just kind of a campus tour, and I'm going to do a little bit of a background on it. So yeah, Alaska Christian College was planted in 2001, as Justin said, and we're excited to share that. We have had over 700 students now come from um, all over Alaska and some from the lower 48 to join us at ACC. And we now know that we have 101 villages that have come uh, to Alaska Christian College out of the 250 or so villages and towns across Alaska. So we're excited for that. Uh, we are a campus of 17 buildings now. We had one building when we started. We're also a campus this fall of 119 students have registered. World record for Alaska Christian College starting with 22 our very first year many, many years ago. We offer four accredited degrees. We offer associate in arts degrees, two-year. And so we have a degree in Christian ministry. We have a degree in professional education, a degree in behavioral health, and then a general education degree. Our students um, are amazing. This Sunday, uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, we're going to be graduating 14 students with their AA degrees, the largest graduating class in our history. We're excited for those 14. I also want to tell you that we have a ministry on our campus called a New Hope Counseling Center. My wife, Debbie, raise your hand, is the executive director of New Hope, and that is a free ministry, professional counseling, licensed professional counselors for all of our students who get to come to ACC, but it's also open to the community. About three-fourths of the clients actually come from the community. This is the site of our new athletic center that's coming down the road. Uh, we were going to start this summer because of COVID. Not, the work teams didn't show up. But we are excited still this next fall to get rocking and rolling on it. That piece of land that you saw in the picture, I want you to remember that piece of land because I'm going to share about it a little bit later. This is a huge project. If anybody has got any fun materials or equipment and want to come and volunteer, it's going to be an 18,000 square foot high school sized gymnasium, now brand new on the Kenai Peninsula. So that's Alaska Christian College. That's uh, who we are serving, Alaska Native students, 95% of all of our students who come uh, are Alaska Native, and that's our mission, and, and, we're, and we're sticking to it. So I want to pray this morning for the college. I want to pray for uh, Justin and Jill, and I also want to pray for a couple of families who have lost significantly this, this week. So let's bow together. Lord, we are grateful so much for this place in Soldatna. It has a little college that's fighting way above its weight class. That, Lord, that there are students who will hopefully get on the planes in three weeks and will show up on our campus. That Satan would not lure them away, but they would know, yes, that they are called to come and we'd have every safety availability for them to, to be with us and to get educated. Pray that many would come to find Christ as their Lord and Savior, be discipled, and beyond that, Lord, get an education that is helpful to get them um, on in their lives and with their families. Lord, thanks for uh, a, a great time away for Justin and Jill and for just a little bit after their one year now of marriage, being able to be away with her family. and May this be refreshing for them and bounce back, Lord, uh, ready to come back this next weekend to bring God's word to us. And then, Lord, our hearts are grieving greatly for the Bell family and the Knopp family and the Holsey family from South Carolina who lost their lives, Lord. We're a small town, and many of us know these people personally. And God, we don't understand it. We grieve and we know that you are sovereign and you knew this was going to happen. 
And yet, God, we know these families, we know their kids, we know their grandkids, and we stand with them today in unity and solidarity as a church that uh, we do all we can to support where we can. And then, Lord, in these minutes that I have to share, help me to be true to your word, and Lord, to enjoy along with our congregation the, this crazy story of Jonah. God, may we look to you for all we have and all we are in these minutes. Help us to know, God, that you're after us. You're pursuing God. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me in your phones to uh, Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. I know a lot of you folks are familiar with Jonah because maybe it's a Sunday school and you heard the story of Jonah and all the trouble that he got in. But today, hopefully, you're going to see it with a little bit of a new spice and uh, a way that'll tell you, hey, you know what? I've got something that I can still learn from the story of this guy who God called to be a prophet to go tell something pretty significant to a group of people that he didn't like and how God completely flipped his life around. So come with me to Jonah chapter 1 and we're going to dig through the whole chapter together, then part of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. But I want you to read carefully with me. I, have the, I chose the NIV this morning, which is God's translation, by the way, and um, I have the chance to see what happened in Jonah's life. So the word of the Lord came to, by the way, this is an audience participation sermon. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So Jonah the prophet, son of Amittai, big important thing there. Go to the great city. This is in the command form in the Hebrew. Verse 2, go to the great city of what, everybody? Okay, Nineveh. So Nineveh is modern day Iraq today. Now if you haven't noticed, the Israelites and the Iraqis don't exactly go to Christmas parties together. They have struggled for thousands of years. In fact, we know that the Ninevites, by via of inscriptions found, hated the Israelites so much that they persecuted them, they tortured them, they killed them. They were the arch enemy of each other. But Jonah, it says here, was told to go to preach against it because his wickedness has come up before me. So God gives a command. Jonah's a prophet. God speaks to Jonah. Jonah speaks to the people. That's his job. But verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from who, everybody? To flee from the Lord. So we know the story. He goes in the complete opposite direction. God says, go north. He says, oh, I'm going to go south. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, I would be too, and each cried out to his own God. Now, is that a small g or a big g? It's a small g. Because this is the God of the land or the God of the moon or the God of the water. It's not Jehovah God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Remember Jesus doing that? Big, huge storm. He goes down and lays down. How can you sleep? They said. Well, look what happens to Jonah here. The captain goes to him and says... How can you sleep? Same thing we heard the apostles say. Get up and call on your God, small g. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, hey, let's cast lots. Little sticks. Let's cast lots to see who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on who, church? Yeah, Jonah. Jonah picked the small, never picked the small stick. All right. They cast lots, it fell on Jonah, they asked him, who is responsible then for making all this trouble for us? 
What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? And I can almost see Jonah stand up erect and with some pride say these words. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, capital L, the God, capital G of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This is great, this is great. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know, here's the admission, I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, capital L or small l? Ah, they're catching on. Now they're calling out to Jonah's God. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, capital L, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. I would too. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And that famous verse 17 that we heard about in Sunday school. Now the Lord provided a huge halibut to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Who else do we know was in the belly of the earth? For multiple days, Jesus himself. So many correlations here going on. Okay, so we know Jonah's being called to go do this thing. We know that this is a huge problem because Israel and Ninevites do not get along. The Bible says, but God loved Nineveh. And he wanted God, he wanted Nineveh to, to be saved. But Jonah said, no way. Here's what it would be like, friends. It would be like us going up to Osama bin Laden. Remember that guy? Go up to Osama, the, the arch enemy of the United States, and give him a big hug and saying, I love you, man. That's almost how hard it was for Jonah to obey God's word. That's why he went in the other direction. This is impossible. This cannot be done. But God loved Nineveh. And so in that verse 17, we found out what happens to bad prophets who don't obey God's word. The fish happens. The fish story happens. My first point is this, God pursues prophets. You know, he has been pursuing God's people to tell the story and also to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ to us through his people, but Jonah blew it and went in the wrong direction. God doesn't just pursue prophets, he also pursues his purposes. So yeah, he has this chance and he tries to thwart God's purposes. Have any of you guys ever tried to thwart God's will for your life? If God has a project to do if he has a plan to finish he just gets it done i don't ever know a time in scripture when god says you're right i'm wrong have it your way it just doesn't happen that way god always finishes what he says and what he begins to do when he told jonah to go that was it but jonah didn't do it as we know so if god breathes his will into being whether it's through the written word or through revelation when he breathes his will into being there's no king There's no president, Republican or Democrat. There is no pope that can stop God from pursuing exactly what his good and perfect will is. Because we all know 
that it's not he who sits in the great white house that's calling the shots, right? But he who sits on the great white what? Yeah, the throne. He's calling the shots. God always wins. And Jonah lost. Well, if you come into chapter 2, I won't read it for you, but chapter 2 is basically a prayer. Now, Jonah's in the belly of a fish. Now, what would you do if you're in the belly of a fish? I'd pray. And I'm just going to act out really quick Jonah's prayer, just really quick here for you. Oh, man. Does it stink in here? <laughs> and man, is it dark. Oh, I am a complete idiot. Just get me out of here, God, and I'll, and I'll do it, I'll do it. I paraphrase, okay. But he gets out of the fish. In fact, verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Can you believe that the Bible uses the word vomit? Huh? King James, and he spewed him. High school kids would say he puked him out, man. A guy came up to me after church one Sunday and he said, Keith, he said, I like the word barf. So what do you mean you like the word barf? He says, yeah, here it is. And he handed me on a piece of paper the story of Jonah using the word barf. Are you ready, everybody? First the boat, then the belly, then the barf, then the beach, and God said to Jonah, preach, preach, preach. So there you have it. The story of Jonah using barf. God always wins. There's no way around it. You cannot escape God's purposes. So what happens in chapter 3? Come with me to chapter 3. This is awesome. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Is our God a God of second chances? Can I hear an amen in the house? Maybe even 70 times 7. He gives Jonah a second chance as the prophet of God. And look what happens, verse 2 of chapter 3. It's almost the exact same words as in chapter 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. He gets a redo. He gets a do-over. And he runs with it and takes it. And we see verse 3 that um, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Went to Nineveh. But verse 5, awesome. And I got the Ninevites believed God. And they declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You know what? Even the king did it. The king of Nineveh believed God because Jonah obeyed this time and went and followed God's word. Got there. You even sat in ashes and put on sackcloth. The king. God always wins. So Christian brothers and sisters, you know when God is calling you to go north and you want to go south. You know that you might miss the greatest adventure of your life if you choose willingly to disobey God's direction for you and his call in your life? Does he have to get your attention in some crazy way? Do you have to defy God first to understand that he's there and he's alive and he's willing to walk with you? Because I almost did. I almost did because God doesn't just pursue prophets. He doesn't just pursue his purposes. But he also pursues people. Common people like you and, and like me. Deb and I were serving a large suburban uh, church outside of Denver, Colorado, Arata Covenant Church, back in 2000. I'd been there for four years, and when we got this knock on our door, hey, Keith, would you and Debbie ever consider planting a Bible college 
And I said, really? Where? And guess what they said? Ecuador. <laughs> You're all wrong. Quito, Ecuador. Do you guys know that the sun goes up and down the same time every day in Quito, Ecuador? Huh? You know it's 78 degrees, give or take a degree, almost every single day in Quito, Ecuador? Deb and I love Hispanic people, Hispanic foods. I was a short-term missionary for a year in Mexico City back in the 80s. Debbie, and also a short-term missionary. We, we both speak Spanish fluently. I mean, this is perfect for us. Well, I, I speak it fluently except the one time in a, in a congregational group I was preaching. And I, I had, I'd seen the word and I, I just I kind of muffled it. And I, I was talking about spiritual gifts. And I said, we have to give our spiritual gifts over to God. Tenemos que dar nuestros dones espirituales al Señor. But I used the wrong word, dones. I said donas. So I just told the whole congregation that we had to give our spiritual donuts over to Jesus. And like you, they started laughing. I kept on preaching. They kept on, every, time, every time I used the word donuts, they all laughed at me. So I finally stopped and I said, what's going on? They said, Keith, we didn't know how to give our spiritual donuts over to Jesus. And I laughed at them, and I was so embarrassed. And so I said, I was embarrassed. I said it in Spanish. Now, I've seen the word embarrassed in Spanish, E-M-B-A-R-A-S-A-D-A, embarrassada. So I said, oh, híjole, estoy muy embarrassada. And the place erupts in laughter, because I just told the whole congregation I was what? Pregnant, yeah. I just told them <laughs> I was pregnant. Embarrassada means pregnant. So we're supposed to go to Ecuador, obviously. And that door closes. So now what do we do? We're sitting in this wonderful church, a wonderful family, our three little kids, one, three, and five. Brad, your piano player, was five years old at the time. And we said, Lord, what are you doing? You're pursuing God. We, know, we felt like we were getting called, but this isn't the place. It was a Sunday after Easter of 2000 that just was muddling in our, in our hearts. And pastor that Sunday was a good friend of mine from Africa, went to seminary together, and he got done preaching, and we all stood and sung a hymn, and the chorus of the hymn goes, here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me, and I will hold your people in my heart. And then I began to weep. I looked over at Deb, and she was weeping. We knew that God was calling us out. Yes, Lord, we are to go, but where? Well, I got invited that summer to go to a little village in Alaska to speak at Bible camp in Unalakleet. Who's been to Unalakleet? Raise your hand. Yep, yep, yep. I was out there, western shores of Alaska, preaching my little heart out to all these 83 high school kids from villages in the area. And the pastor of our covenant church comes up and he says, hey, Keith, he says, um, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, I think God's calling you to Alaska. I said, what? He said, yeah, I said, I've been watching you preach and work with our high school kids here. I, I just think God's calling you to Alaska to come up and serve. Whoa. That's never happened before. So I stuck that right here in my heart. A couple days later, we're on a hike looking for muskox. Youth pastor of the Hooper Bay Covenant Church comes up to me and he says, Hey, Keith. He said, I got to tell you about a dream I had last night. I said, You had a dream last night. What was it about? He said, You and I are at McDonald's in Anchorage. Pretty specific dream. And in the dream, we were talking about you starting and being involved in a college up in Alaska. Whoa. Now that's never happened either. I said, did you see any palm trees in your dream? Hawaii Christian College. I could just see it. Man. So I stuck that in my heart. Friday night, Debbie flew up from Denver and was with us. And 
Megan, our daughter, was, was still in the womb, and we uh, had the chance to, to hang out with the Missionary Aviation Repair Center, a Mark family, and had dinner together. Uh, Don was out flying, but Kathy was home with the three little kids. She was um, giving us just this lasagna dinner, and got to meet, meet them, know them, and I told Debbie what was going on, and She's from California, by the way. I said, honey, what do you think about moving to Alaska? <laughs> and so he said, Lord, you know, three's a good number. Maybe you should give us a third, you know, sign that this is happening. And I got to tell you, we did not expect the answer to that prayer. The following week, I got a phone call. We returned home to Colorado from a good friend who said, Keith, um, Don was just out flying, dropping off a kid at Bible camp dropping off Jeff Seemers, who attends this church, who's also our executive vice president at the college, just dropped the two off, and the plane went up, and they heard the engine stop, and they went out and found him ejected and, 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 and dead. Don Irvin, I'd never met. I talked to him on the phone, emailed him, I'd never met the guy. Found out that uh, a little later that actually Kathy was pregnant with their fourth child, and he didn't know it when the Lord took him home. Jessica's now 20 years old. And Deb and I both wept in our hearts over that loss and couldn't figure out why. We realized our hearts were in Alaska. Our hearts were broken for the Irvin family. And what happened this week brings that back, right? And so we wanted to be in Alaska, but God hadn't called us yet. And that summer of 2000, after Bible camp, I, I got a call. Keith, would, would you consider flying up here and, and, and interviewing and candidating to become the president of nothing? What a great opportunity! He said, we don't have any students that want to go to this college that we know of. Uh, we don't have any money to pay you. And I remember, I'm pregnant. i got to have money, right? We don't have any buildings. And we don't have any staff that want to work with you. Well, I'm used to that. <laughs> Would you come up and interview? And we did, and they unanimously called us. And like Jonah, we knew we had a choice to make. And so do you. If God is calling you to go in a direction... You can run and go in the other direction, or you can say, yes, Lord, I know you're pursuing me for this great purpose, this adventure, this life change, and I'm going to obey you, Lord. I had that opportunity to say yes, or again, get swallowed up by a, a big halibut, and I just don't like halibut that much. So, every one of us has an opportunity and a choice, but you know what? After we've made that choice if God is calling us to whatever mission ministry place it might be he also provides God provides you guys believe that if he shows his way he's going to provide so we looked all over Alaska for a college building to beg borrow or steal rent lease we didn't know we ended up flying up here with a group of people who were on the task force to start the college because a guy had shown us an amazing what we thought house down in Kasilov that had 26 bedrooms in it on a lake with an airstrip what more could a person ask for? So we flew up here and got down there to Kasilov and saw this place. Oh my goodness, it was a mess. There's no way we could start the college there. Plus, it's about eight miles to walk to the nearest store. Our students would die in the vine, not having a place to go and hang out. So that was a bad... Well, Debbie had picked up this catalog in the airport, at Kenai Airport, that had an aerial view of ACC. In fact, it said there's an 8,400-square-foot mansion on 10 and a half acres with an indoor what? Anybody know? Swimming pool. And I went to Fred Bronner, the realtor, called him up and said, can we, can we look at this place? He said, yeah, I'll meet you there. We ran, ran in there. It was, I, walked, oh, I just said, this is it, Lord. 
So on the spot, I offered, get this, $350,000. 8,400 square foot mansion, again, on 10 and a half wooded acres next to KPC. Big asset for us. That was the good news. They accepted our offer. What was the bad news? Anybody want to guess? No had no money to pay for it. Yeah, we had no money. You know, we're still raising money for our family support. We didn't have it. But one of my friends, pastors, First Covenant Church in Portland, Oregon, I called up John and I said, hey, John, we're trying to plant this college. Deb and I need some missionary support. Is it okay if I come and preach and share what's going on? I had no videos. I had no testimonies. I had no pictures. I had nothing. He said, yeah, come on over. So I flew to Portland, preached my little heart out. After church, I met with the mission board because you know what? We found somebody who would actually give us a loan for the building. The guy who originally built it, Leonard Ballard, who's known in this community as well. He said, Keith, if you can find 25,000 bucks down payment, Christian man, $2,800 a month at 8% interest, not that good of a Christian man, <laughs> and 100 bucks for the paperwork, it's yours. And I said, Leonard, I can do the 100 bucks. <laughs> so I asked the mission board, First Covenant, I said, do you guys have $25,000 by any chance? They said, we'll get back to you. Well, it wasn't a no. So I waited two weeks later, Pastor John called me and says, Keith, there's a check in the mail for $25,000. We are going to buy us a college today. I said, that is awesome. What happened? He said, well, after you were here, we had actually had a business meeting. And at the meeting, we just sold a Bible camp we've had for 30 years. We want to do some significant things with the money from the proceeds. And we want to buy a college today. And we took it and we're grateful, so excited. So a year later, I actually went back to say thank you. By the way, if somebody gives you 25,000 bucks, go say thanks, all right? Just advice. I showed up at the church, had pictures, had stories, had video, and here's what happened. This little old lady walks up to me. She must have at least been 60 years old. And she, uh, she says, Keith, you don't know the rest of the story. And I said, who are you, Paul Harvey? You know the rest of the story. She said, I was at that meeting when we decided to buy the college. She said, I was born in this church at the turn of the century. You know, the last century. <laughs> My family was a part of this plant of this First Covenant Church of Portland, Oregon. And she said, I'm the only one who's left. I'm 96 years old. And I remember the first pastor that we had here. You know who he was? I said, no. He said, he was the first covenant missionary to Alaska. And I'm the one who remembers. And in his memory today, I stood up that day, he said, and I made sure that our church did this as a legacy gift. If you go to Unalakleet today and you go out to the cemetery, I've been there many times each time I visit, there's only one huge, enormous statue grave out there. It even has a fence around it. You think it must be the, 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 the original chief of the village. It, it isn't. You know who it is? It was the first covenant missionary to Unalakleet. His name was Axel Carlson. He came from Sweden. Nobody had evangelized that whole Norton Sound from Nome to Unalakleet area. He was the first in. On his tombstone are written these words by the villagers of Unalakleet, by the way. Axel E. Carlson, born Sweden 18-something and then died 19-something. I don't remember the dates. But here's what they inscribed. When Axel came to our village, there were no Christians. But when he left us, there were no pagans. Think about that legacy of God pursuing a Swede to come to Alaska. 
He knew God was calling him, and he went. Somebody said, Keith, the ACC story is a miracle. And I said, yeah, it's a whale of a miracle. And just to close, I'll, I'll share with you just recently something that happened that blew my mind away. We, uh, that piece of land that I showed you in the video, the drone shot, four and a half acres right on our property. I mean, it's right there next to us. We needed it for our, our new gymnasium for this capital campaign we're doing. We couldn't find out who owned it. I mean, I, I, I went to the borough, got the address. It was a bad address. Uh, sent a registered letter, came back bad address. I called the borough. I said, how are you guys collecting taxes on these people? They weren't. They didn't have an address, they didn't have a phone number, they didn't have an email, so I googled everything I could. I could not find out anything short of hiring a private investigator. I don't know how you find out who owns this piece of land. So we prayed. Because when all else fails, what do you do, right? <laughs> well, one of our volunteers, Al Finnefrock. Al was also part of his congregation years ago. We planted ACC, he and Sharon with us for 10 years. Uh, he's flying back through from Minnesota where he lived in Duluth through the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, coming back to Alaska. And Al's in the guy's bathroom before he gets on the plane, and he strikes up a conversation with the guy in the bathroom. Now, you ladies need to hear me really loud and clear about this. Us guys, we don't talk in the men's bathrooms. <laughs> we go in, we have a singular purpose, we do our duty, we don't talk to anybody, we look at anybody, we wash our hands and we leave. That's the men's code, right men? Right. Yeah, that's the men's code. Well, Al doesn't know the men's code, apparently. And he starts chatting it up with the guy at the wash basin. Hey, where are you headed? The guy says, oh, I'm heading to Alaska. Al says, well, I'm heading to Alaska. Al says, well, where do you live? The guy says, I live up in Anchorage. Al says, well, I live down in Soldotna part of the year. The guy looks at Al and he says, oh, really? He says, I happen to own a piece of land in Soldotna, Alaska. I kid you not, the owner of this piece of land that we have not been able to find is standing in the bathroom with Al. Just a coincidence, right? No, we call it the urinal miracle. <laughs> Al gave him, uh, he gave Al his card. Al came back, gave me the card, called the guy up. Some time later, he and his wife came down. I walked him across the street. I stood on his land and I said, sir, can you imagine a gymnasium full of Alaska native students and others? Because Alaska's king in Alaska, uh, basketball's king in Alaska, right? playing basketball in this new gymnasium. He said, make me an offer. So I hit him low. He hit me high. We came in the middle. Four and a half wooded, perfect acres, right where we need it, adjacent to our property. Drum roll, please. $52,000. That was the good news. What was the bad news? Yeah, I still had no money to pay for it, right? But one of the men who sat on one of our boards, you know, he bought it, he held it, he said, I'll sell it to you someday when we're ready to build the gym. He took care of it, he paid the taxes on it. I finally went to him and I said, it's time for us to make an offer. He said, write me a check. I wrote him a check. $27 is what it cost for the borough to do the recording. That's all it cost us. He donated the whole piece of land to the school. Yeah. So God provides. If he's after you, if he's calling you, if he's pursuing you, he will provide. So why are you trying to head south like I was? Instead of north where you know God is maybe heading you in some way. You know, I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit of God works because I'm definitely not him. But he may be touching some of you today on the shoulder, in your heart, for some great need or from some great place that he wants you to take an amazing, risky adventure and get you to.
Or perhaps you've been playing games with God. He's been pursuing you to do business with him. And you need to do business with God today and say, Lord, I know you've been after me personally. And I want to invite you into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take me to heaven with you. I, I want you, God, to be my all in all. Uh, surrendering your life to him today can be, can be done as well. And then maybe you're just even driving down the street and there's just something you keep driving past and God's touching you to, to think about ministering at that place at Love, Inc., or maybe at the food bank, or somewhere in town at Freedom House. I, I don't know, but God might be, t- and you're running away. Maybe there's a mission field. For us, it was Mexico, and then Alaska. And maybe there's a place far away, halfway across the world, like Jesse has gone in Jesus' name, that he's tapping you on the shoulder. Or maybe you're running like Jonah, and you're running away from a hardship in your personal life or a difficult situation that just seems to have no way out. You can surrender today. You can say, yes, Lord, the pursuit's over. I, I'm, I'm surrendering this, 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 this thing to you, and I, and I will go, Lord, if you lead me. Tony Campolo, famous author, speaker, says, you know what, church? You guys, you all stand up and sing that song, I Surrender All. And you're all singing, I surrender all, I surrender, except on key. And uh, he says, you're really singing, a lot of you, I surrender one-tenth, I surrender one-tenth. No. When Jesus calls us, he's pursuing us, we need to surrender our all. We're going to invite the team to come up. This song that we're going to sing right now is a... uh, a hymn it was written in the 80s in fact it's number 10 hymn sung in the in in great britain right now apparently but it asked the question that was asked of me in 2000 that sunday after easter here i am lord is it i lord i have heard you calling in the night i will go lord if you lead me and i will hold your people in my heart I know a lot of times we sing songs, we we just say the words because the words are on the screen, we just repeat whatever it says. This morning I'm going to ask you to be careful when you say those words because God might call you. If you say, here I am, Lord, um, send me. Be careful. Maybe you want to hum that part. (laughs) Let's all stand together, this, this, this wonderful song of dedication. Maybe Jesus is pursuing you today.